RPG Speak is a profane and sometimes rowdy podcast. While we do not recommend this podcast for children, we cannot tell you what to do. Just know, you have been warned. Hey, what is going on everybody? It's Anthony, the host of the RPG Speak podcast. As you know, as you've been listening to it this whole time, thank you very much for that. Today we are going to be talking about a topic that is pretty deep and could lead to some, you know controversy or whatnot between the listeners but that's perfectly fine we can have discussions about it and whatnot that's what i'm all about but today i am going to be talking to you about how to be the best dm you possibly can and how i became a dungeon master as well you know as far as dungeons and dragons and deadlands and stuff like that's concerned don't take it to a weird place that's not what this podcast is about at least not yet <laughs> um but yes i did a video on this on my youtube channel the maxinadian gaming and I want to touch on this topic as well because the first official episode of RPG Speak was my interview with my DM for the longest time, Renavion. And in that video, we, you know, we talked about, you know, his journey to being a dungeon master, how he got into, you know, gaming, stuff like that. And he, in that, revealed as as a dungeon master, it's really up to you the whole game is up to you you know he talked about as uh as being a dm that the rules in the book they're there to be guidelines essentially you know they're there to build your story around and now obviously you know dungeons and dragons and whatnot a lot of tabletop rpgs have their own you know they've got their own uh like modules pre-written campaigns and whatnot but it's those are for those they can be fun don't get me wrong i've played a lot of good modules but those are for you know dungeon masters who either don't have the time or don't feel like making their own homebrew as we call it story and i'm not you know i don't want to throw shade at dungeon masters who use modules because you know they are a great tool and they can be used to create a really good campaign like i said i've I've played a lot of good modules in my time, you know, my 13, 14 years of role-playing. But with being a DM, there's so much more than just reading, like even with the modules, there's so much more to being a DM than, you know, just reading a book and a story, you know. You've got to make your players feel like they're actually in the world. You might make your players feel like they are their character. So essentially you are still creating the world whether it's a pre-written campaign or your own and that's what the rules are there for like i said they're guidelines for you to build your story around you know you can incorporate rules as you seem fit you can like you can you can incorporate the rules you want basically you can pick and choose based off of what you want your game to be if you want your game to be you know a cookie cutter straight down the middle you know like basic game you know you can do that or if you want your game to be completely off the cuffs you know your players are going and just burning down villages or your players are just going and you know your wizard is enlarging random things at will just to cause chaos you can do that too it's amazing the freedom that games like dungeons and dragons give you with the rules like You can, like I said, you can do essentially whatever you want to do. And a big part of that 
is that's a big part of being a DM and a big part uh, it coincides with improv you know but that's another really big part about being a DM and that is improv you know you you've got to be really good at improving because I don't care how you know rules lawyery cookie cutter straightforward your dungeon you know your adventuring party is you know your group's going to make some decision at some point that's going to make you scratch your head and be like what the fuck just happened it's inevitable it's going to happen my group seems to do it to me on purpose you know just because you know that they like screwing with me but because of that i have developed incredible improv skills you know it's a bit of a humble brag you know i'm i've learned through being a dm that i'm great at improv and improv is an essential part of being a dm because you need to make those quick quick-witted decisions on the fly you know your care your players you know they want to you know say they're in they're in a dungeon and somebody wants to enlarge a torch on the wall you know they want to enlarge a torch set the building on fire and whatnot you got to be like okay okay um yes i'll let you do it but say something like you know okay so you enlarge the torch now you are entrapped inside of a burning building and now there's a new problem that you've developed because of their actions you know and that's a good way to keep you know, it's a good way to keep your players on your t- on their toes with the decisions that they make. You know, they enlarged this torch, made the fire bit, made a big fire, started the bit, caught the building they were in on fire, and boom! Now they've got another problem. They're in a build, burning building that's collapsing on them, and they got to find a way out, or else they're all dead. So, you've got to find your way out of these situations with your improv skills. And you know, some people they're not really good at improv. You know, it's going to take some time for them to think of a situation. And while that's fine, it does end up, you know, killing the flow of the game, at, at, you know, at times. You know, obviously, some of the best improvers, you know, even myself included. I'm, I, like I said, I consider myself incredibly good at improv when it comes to D&D. And even I find, you know, some of the things I'm doing, I've got to think of ways to put my care, my players, you know, the situation that they're in. You know, they they've there was a time where you know this was the first deadlands campaign that i ran you know deadlands if you guys don't know is a post-apocalyptic tabletop rpg set in a time after set in a post like a post-apocalyptic world you know there were super nukes essentially dropped on every part of the world putting it into this state of you know horrors coming to life hell rising stuff like that essentially but there was a time where you know, it was the first session, and one of my players, their character was a bounty hunter, and they went into the t- the starting town looking for their bounty because that was their last known location. Well, the bounty did happen to be in the town, and the player, you know, it was in the middle of a busy town. You know, they were smack dab in the middle of the city. My play, the player went up, killed his bounty, and I had planned at that point. I was not planning for my player, first of all, to just go up and execute somebody in the middle of a busy city. That wasn't something I had planned. Um, I planned on them, you know, staking stuff out, following them into a place, and that was going to lead into a bigger story involving, like, a gang and a mob boss and stuff like that. I had this whole thing planned out based on this one sole character. And I don't know, this was very early in my DMing career, so I was a 
bit of a noob when planning out stories because I don't I don't plan out my stories very well. Like, I, well, really at all. I improv my way through pretty much all of it. I've got a baseline and I improv it, but I'll get to that in a bit. My point is I didn't plan for them to take out an integral part of the story right then and there. So I had to, you know, I had to think for a little bit and be like, okay, how am I going to get myself out of the situation that my players caused? Okay, well, he executed in the middle of a big city. People definitely saw it. Okay, so now the authorities are after you. The authorities are after you, and you are being surrounded very quickly. You've got two options. Try to run and escape or surrender. They ended up, uh, you know, escaping. And, you know, I had to improv my way through the rest of the session pretty much. And that, you know, it led to them going to a certain part of town that the gang that I was going to introduce them to... uh, you know, they owned it and they ended up running into the gang members and they completely obliterated the gang members. But because I was able to improv, you know, my way out of that situation and put the gang back into the story, they now have a, you know, they now have a big enemy in the game. And on top of the main enemy that I had, so now they've got two enemies and now they've got, you know, now their situation is a bit more dire i guess you can say you know their situation is a bit more rough because now they're being pursued by two very powerful enemies and i mean there's plenty of other examples that i can give you um but it's just that example is a demonstration on how improv is key to being a dungeon master and getting yourself out of situations you know and it's even not just getting yourself out of situations you know you've got to you've got to voice npcs You've got to, you know, you've got to create scenes in your mind and then put them into words. You know, all of this is part of improv, which you, I'm going to keep reiterating this because it is important, which you need to be a DM. And you could be, you know, you could be the best DM ever. You know, you could be the best DM. You've planned out your campaign from beginning to end. You've got every adventure written down and whatnot. But even those guys still need to improv. Or you could be a DM like me and have maybe two to three sentences, if I'm lucky, about, you know, the main plot point of that current session and then just improv your way through the entire thing. You know, my whole thing is I created a world. You know, I did I did that. I did create an entire world. Hell, I created an entire continent with cities and towns and even trading posts and mountains. And I have, you know, I've got details of all of them listed. So I... In my brain, I materialize, I materialize them in my brain. Yeah, that makes sense. I put them in my brain and think about how they look. And then I say what I see in my head to my players, and then they make the decisions based off of that. You know, NPC dialogue is completely... Imp- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Improv for me, you know, main characters are almost completely improv for me. You know, I've got the big bad guy. I've got, you know, some mid-tier character bosses and whatnot. I've got some important NPCs, but that's it, you know, and I, shit, half the time I don't even have names for these people. You know, half the time I come up with names on the fly or, you know, I use a random generator because I'm lazy. Um, but it's it, every session that I've had, my players have loved it, you know, because it just turns into a giant ball of chaos, but controlled chaos, I guess, if you will. Don't sue me, Jeff Dunham, but it's this controlled chaos that the players are able to work with, you know, and if the players are able to work with it, you're able to work with it. And the goal, my my biggest rule is if the players understand it, you should be able to understand it, and vice versa. If you can understand it, your players should be able to understand it. Um, and if they don't, then you explain it to them. And if they still don't, well, then that's their fault, and you keep going um, because you can't you can't sit there and explain to somebody what something is. You know that that's that kills the flow of the game. Um, the whole point of D and D. You know, one of the, well, one of the greatest aspects of D and D is the flow of the game. You know, whether it be in combat, just you know, you just role playing with NPCs, you're role playing with each other's with the, you know the players, you're role playing with each other's characters. Though you as the DM are there to keep the flow of the game going, and if you've got to stop and you know explain stuff to your players, that kind of kills the flow of the game. You know, if now if you're talking as an NPC in the game explaining stuff to players, that's completely different because the NPC is in the game and in the game, the players can work off of it. Now, if you're talking above board and trying to explain it to somebody, the flow of the game kind of gets lost. And, you know, it's always it's always okay to ask a question if you didn't understand something, you know, like it's always okay if the player asks a question if they don't understand it. And I, I encourage players to ask questions so they don't understand it because if they don't understand something, then they could do something that also kills the flow of the game. Or, you know, if they don't understand it but the rest of the group does, then they could do something that, you know, fucks with the rest of the group's plans or vice versa. You know, if the player doesn't understand what's happening and the rest of the group is doing something that the player doesn't understand that player is completely lost and it kind of takes them out of the game as well. So if your player asks a question, answer it as best as you can. Um, but ultimately it's going to be up to them to figure out what's going on as well. And that's, that's a lot of thing. That's one thing I don't believe a lot of people understand is dungeon masters. They're there to, you know, feed you the story. They're there to make sure you are enjoying the game and make sure you understand the story. And at the end of the day, a dungeon master can only do so much to explain the story. And if it's just one player that's not understanding but the rest of the group is, then it's on that one player to try to understand it. Because if you're spending all of your time, you know, if you're spending 5, 10, 15 minutes trying to explain something to one player, 
then the rest of the group is left out. The rest of the group is just sitting there like, um, what are we doing? What are, can we get back to the game, please? And that's, that's unfair to everybody else. You know, and one of the rules I have is the majority outrules the minority, you know, legitimate democracy. And so if, if I know the rest of my group completely understands what's happening and it's just one person, you know, one, two people that don't understand at all, then I'm just going to keep going with the game. You know, that might sound harsh, but like I said, I'm there to keep control and flow of the game. I'm not going to spend 10 minutes explaining it to one or two people who don't, who aren't, you know, understanding it when the rest of the group is. Because if most of the group is understanding it, then that means you conveyed it as best as you can already. And just that one, and you know, it's just that one player for whatever reason, whether they weren't paying attention before or whether they, you know, whether they're just, you know, off in space or whatever, you know. Or they just simply don't understand it. That's that's like I said, it kills the flow of the game entirely. So, like I said, big one of the big rules: majority overrules the minority. And it's it seems like I said, it seems harsh, but at the end of the day, it's your decision. And this this could be misconstrued as you know the dungeon master's god which isn't true whatsoever you know the the whole the dm is always right thing it's always misconstrued as you know the dm is on like a power trip or whatever you know whatever the dm says goes the dm is god stuff like that and it's it it kind of it it sucks because then there's this whole misconception about you know, about, you know, whether the Dungeon Master's ruling is, like, whether the Dungeon Master's playing favorites, or, you know, whether the Dungeon Master is being fair, whether the ruling's correct, and it can create some tension between, you know, the DM and players, but the rule the DM is always correct is, you know, it's not a written down rule or anything, but it's a universally understood rule within the gaming community that the DM is always right. When the DM makes a call, they make a decision, that decision stands. You do not argue with your dungeon master because, again, that kills the flow. You know, if you're a rules lawyer, which if you don't know, I don't know how you wouldn't know, but if you don't know, a rules lawyer is somebody who really likes to play by the rules, obviously. that It's very self-explanatory. You know, the rules lawyer will speak up and say, no, 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 you can't do this, it's not in the rules. Or, you know, they'll specifically look up a... You know, they'll specifically look up a rule just to try and argue with the DM. And that's that's not what, you, you know, that's not what you should do. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, the DM's decision stands. And the DM's decision will always stand. I don't care who you are. You could have been playing D&D since its release. Or you could be, you know, it could be your first session. I don't care who you are. If the dungeon master makes a ruling or a decision, you follow that decision, you follow that ruling. Whether you like it or not, you do not sit there and argue with the dungeon master for 5-10 minutes because then the rest of the group is, again, sitting there looking like, this is not what I'm here for, I'm here to have fun, not watch two dudes bicker, you know? Or women, you know, we're all inclusive here if you know, you know, whatever. You're there to have fun and... If you're constantly challenging each other, 
nobody else is having fun. You know, shit, even you're not having fun. That's the whole point of it. You know, the rules lawyer isn't having fun because the DM is not playing by the rules, but the DM's not having fun because the rules lawyer keeps challenging them about not playing by the rules. You know, and then in turn, the rest of the group isn't having fun because they're watching the DM and the rules lawyer go at it because none of them, because, you know, DM's not playing by the rules and the fucking rules lawyer wants him to play by the rules you know and it's it's a whole mess you know i've seen it happen in several groups that i've been a part of so that's why the dm is always right is such an important rule and is why it can also be you know misconstrued about the dm on a power trip or the dm you know abusing power stuff like that but it's not it's specifically for flow of the game and you know this is coming from all of this stuff, by the way, is coming from, you know, someone who's been DMing for, I don't know, I think I've been DMing games for six, seven years now. So I am by no means a master DM. You know, I've got great improv skills and the ability to give make my players have a good time playing in my campaigns. That's that. Those are the two qualifications I have. You know, my my dungeon master, Renavion, he, he's been playing... D and D like for he's been playing D and D for decades. You know he was born the same year D and D came out. He's been playing it since he was in middle school, and you know he he's able to go into this topic a lot more than I am in the last episode with the interview. But you know, so I'm not I'm not I'm not saying you know this is how it should be done. I'm just saying this is how it's this is how it's well. I guess in a way I am saying this is how it should be done, you know, but I'm not saying that you have to do this, you know, I'm saying that it's better if you do this, you know, obviously you can play a D, you can be a DM as a rules lawyer, you can follow the rules cookie cutter and whatnot if you've got a group that likes that, you know, and that's another big thing for, you know, being a DM is catering to your group as well. Sure, it's your world, your campaign, your game. You know, you created the whole thing, you know, but you've got to build the story around your group. You know, if if one session they're, you know, having a great time and, you know, completing um, completing missions and role playing with every character they meet, stuff like that, and they're loving it. But then the next session you do something and they're just like, ah, we are not feeling it. You know, that's something you've got to improve upon. You've got to create your games and your stories based around what your players, you know, what your players like doing. And each player is different. You know, there are some players who just really enjoy combat. There are some players who really enjoy RPing. And then there are some players who like doing both. And it's important to mold your story and your campaign around what all these players like. You know, if you've got, say you've got a group of four. One person really likes combat, but not so much the whole RP thing. One player really likes the RP, but not so much the combat. One player really likes both. And one player, you know, which just kind of goes with the flow. You've got to mold your campaign around that. You've got to have equal parts combat, equal parts campaign. And you've got to find that perfect balance because what you think might be a good enough combat, good enough amount of combat might not be for that player. And same with the RP. If you don't have, if you, uh, 
if you put enough RP, a lot of RP in there that you think is good enough, it might not be good enough for that player. Or vice versa, it might be too much. So it's a big conundrum that you've got to figure out how to work out with your group. I'm lucky enough that all of the groups I've run, you know, I've managed to read them pretty well. And my at least my main group, they like really like both role-playing and um, combat. So that makes it very, very easy for me to plan out my sessions. But I've also been in groups where, you know, they just, like, the whole group just really likes the whole combat thing, you know, with a little bit of story in there. So I, you know, I had to put in as much combat as I possibly could, but also make a decent story, you know, behind it. You know, one of my groups, they really, like, the whole group was just really combat-oriented. You know, we had we had a fighter, we had a war domain cleric, we had a barbarian, and we had a wizard. You know, and they were all, like, the wizard just kept making, just kept getting spell like, whenever they leveled up or whatnot, they would just use spells that caused destruction for fighting. You know, the fight, you know, the fighter, barbarian, war domain cleric kind of speak for themselves, but... They all created characters based off combat. So what I did was I created a story where they were all soldiers in the, like, they were either, they they were soldiers, I gave them a choice where they could be soldiers in the Royal Army or soldiers in the Resistance, and they all chose Resistance. You know, it was a vote, pretty much, and they voted in majority to be part of the Resistance. So they were soldiers in a Resistance, and I crafted a story where, they were they were soldiers in a resistance that was trying to take down a tyrannical royal family and this campaign was combat based you know they were sent out on you know special ops missions to take out a base or you know and then you know some missions they were on the front lines of a giant battle you know they were there when they took the main castle for and you know dethroned the king so that was very combat orientated. And then I had some other groups, you know, like I, I had this one group where all of them were, well, I won't say all of them, but most of them really enjoyed the role playing stuff. But they also kind of, they also wanted, you know, good enough combat in there. So they wanted, you know, so I had to craft it around that. And that's probably the easiest type of game to craft around is a group that is equal parts combat, equal parts role playing. And so for this one, I did the generic, you know, you start off in a town, you know, you're all in a tavern and let them role play it out. You know, I described the scene um, and one of my players, my players eventually, you know, caught the eye of each other and they started talking and they got a mission to, I can't remember what it was. This was like three years ago. But they got a mission to do something, and they all decided, you know what, we're all here together. Let's do it and get paid. So they went off, and this group's story was, you know, the, one of their characters' backstories was they were exiled from their homeland. They were exiled for treason, but this character only committed treason because the king he didn't really commit treason he had evidence for the that the king was you know for lack of a better term embezzling money from the taxes levied onto the citizens of the country and using it to you know hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For his own personal gain. So, you know, instead of the promises that the king made, you know, better city infrastructure, infrastructure stuff like better police, stuff like that, he was using it for his own gain. And he had proof that would have gotten the king dethroned, but the king found out and ended up, you know, accusing him of treason and exiling him. So the main story, sorry, I hit my mic there. So the main story was them going through and clearing his name. You know, they had to re-find evidence that that king was, you know, that, that that king was doing what he was accused of. And so that story went on for quite a few sessions. You know, I don't think it made it, it got them to level 20. I think it got them to level like 16. And so, you know, they finished it and that was it. You know, they role played asking people for information. They fought, you know, guards and assassins that the kingdom sent after them. So it was easy to balance that. Now, role groups that are fully role playing. Those are a bit more difficult to plan for because everybody has their own different style of role playing. There's, you know, there's players that will get really into it and have full on conversations with NPCs and befriend NPCs and stuff like that. Then you got players who they really like the RP, but they don't exactly know how to talk to NPCs. So, you know, they'll give like one line answers or, you know, the NPC will do most of the talking and they'll just be like, hmm, okay, you know, stuff like that. You know, you've got to find a balance of role-playing for all, like, mainly role-playing groups that makes everybody feel comfortable role-playing. And it's it's a, it's weird for people to, like, role-play. You know, it's, there's, there's a stigma behind it. 
Um, but it's it's difficult to plan for all role playing sessions. Is my point. You know, even even for some of the best you know DMs out there, it's difficult to plan for role playing because you don't know who your characters are going to talk to. You know, you can plan out you know a city police, you know a city guard chief or the king or a royal family member. Uh, you know stuff like that but there's a chance that your players won't talk to them so you've also got to kind of plan out or use your improv skills you know for that random patron in the bar you know that one of your players that your party goes up to and asks about you know do you know this person or something like that or you know same thing with a barkeep or just a random person off the street or a shopkeeper stuff like that you got to plan for that stuff and I mean, I guess you don't have to plan for it because I don't. I'd be hypocrite saying if you had to plan for it because, like I said, I don't plan for anything. I mean, I plan for my characters to, you know, inevitably fuck something up, but I don't plan stuff like that. Um, and it's it's interesting to see how player different players react to different NPCs and stuff like that based off of their characters because a player shouldn't be they shouldn't be playing the game based off of themselves. They should be playing the game based off of their character, you know, and it, it's just, it, you know, the whole, it's what my character would do thing has got a really bad stigma of, you know, like people abusing it to do what they want. You know, somebody's a rogue and they just kill a random person on the street because, you know, they've got the assassin subclass or whatever. Um, and, you know, so they just kill this person right off the street, randomly, no explanation, and then they're like, what, I'm an assassin, it's what my character would do. But in the end, no, it's not what your character would do. An assassin is somebody who takes on, you know, assassination contracts and kills the person who the contract's for and anybody who, you know, poses a threat to them and fulfilling their contract you don't just go up to a random person on the street and you know kill them that's what we call a murder hobo and murder hobos are incredibly i won't say they're incredibly tough to run but they're they are a bit difficult to run in a sense that you've got to create characters in your game to you know pretty much to advance any story and murder hobos have a tendency to just murder everybody they meet just kill them right off the bat you know they give them information then you kill them no witnesses stuff like that which in itself isn't difficult to plan for what's difficult to plan for is the consequences your players face and the consequences the death of that character has on your world because you don't know who they're going to kill that what the fuck my phone just went off i apologize for that um but Yes, it's difficult to plan for murder hobo parties because that you could you know have an info broker and they talk to you know they talk to an info broker they give them the information and then you stab them. Okay, well now the person that that info broker works for is you know is has found about the info broker's death and you know now that person doesn't exist in the world. So that person no longer gives information and. That means you've got other, you know, in-game, you have other groups that, you know, needed information from him, and now they can't, so they go after the party for killing their info broker or the info broker's boss, stuff like that. You know, there's plenty of things 
that could happen from them killing somebody but you can't plan for them to, for who they kill unless you plan for everybody to die which is a lot of work and i don't feel like doing that much work which is why i'm happy none of my groups are murder hobos um so murder hobos they're not necessarily a bad party they're just difficult to work with pretty much um but then that again goes back to the whole improv thing because you can't like you can't plan for every you know every npc death because if you did well that you just can't actually do that because you don't know what npcs are going to be in the game unless they're you know main npcs then in which case you can plan for them to you know whether they die or live you can plan for that but random npcs are off the street you know your character like one of your players goes up like i said kills a random person you know that person could have just been a normal common citizen where you know in which case you know they wouldn't have that big of an impact on the world but then that person they killed also could have been you know the owner of one of the biggest you know one of the biggest taverns and inns in the city or town and now that they're dead that tavern and inn is goes out of business and boom now you've got you know now you've got this big staple of a city gone you know so now you've kind of got a plan on what happens there um then you've got to insert like an entire city guard essentially and at least what i do is i put the town guard on their trail there's an investigation but the players don't know it yet and you know they'll you know they'll things will work itself out eventually i think either that or your players will end up executed but the fact of the matter is you can't plan for everything so improv is essential you know this whole i mean half this episode has been me talking about improv that's how important it is but another one of the big things that's important to being a good dm is establishing a relationship with your players um you know a lot of D D groups are you know most D groups actually are people who know each other in real life you know at least all of my D D groups they are people i know in real life they are friends and or family so i have a really good connection and friendship and relationship with them so it's easy for me to, for them to talk to me and me to talk to them now if you're one of those people who you know goes on rule 20 or D beyond or whatever you know on reddit forums and stuff like that um and you know is like searching for a D&D group of four six however many people and now you're playing with a bunch of random people it's very important for you to get to know those people you know it's very important for you to be able to kind of just like get into the whole get into the group you know, you want to befriend every member of the group and you want to make sure that that group is, you know, coexisting with one another. Because if, you know, you've got a player that, you know, you've got a person you've never met, they're there for the campaign, you know, you've never met them and you're trying to run them on the game, it's difficult for somebody you've never met to get behind you as a DM, you know, because they don't know your style of DMing and you don't know their style of, you know, playing as a character. So you've got to talk with them and find out what they like and what they don't like and incorporate it into the story and become in building a relationship with your players helps doing that because if you have that, you know, friendship with your players, they are far more comfortable talking, coming and talking to you about, you know, Hey, I didn't really like it. 
when this happened in the game, you know, it wasn't very fun for me. Um, or, you know, they say this was really good. I loved this. Do more of this. You know, it makes them more comfortable for you them to talk to you one-on-one or even in the group, you know, and it's makes it easier for them to role-play with you as well as NPCs and making sure your players form some sort of friendship relationship with each other makes it easier for them to play off each other in the game whether it's talking directly to each other or whether it's talking you know to an npc as a group it's easy for them to get a grip on each other's role-playing styles and then even in combat it's easy for easier for them to plan you know if your players don't know anything about each other they can't really plan you know they plan based off of the characters that they make but not off of the actual player themselves because there could be a player who you know they're playing say they're playing a human fighter base most basic of the classes they're playing a human fighter and their whole play style is just attack straight on no thought whatsoever deal as much damage as possible but then you've got somebody who's say playing a ranger (laughs) that's funny playing a ranger but no say they're playing a ranger and their play style for combat is, you know, devising a plan to flank the enemy, you know, and get get this adva- get advantage because they're flanked because the enemy's flanked, and you know have you know them go up in a tree to provide you know air cover, I guess, with their bow and arrow or crossbow or whatever, you know, and then the rest of the group, you know, encircles the enemy and flanks them so they can get all these dice advantages and stuff like that. Then they want, you know, like the wizard or the sorcerer to cast a spell. They want the bard to, you know, start supporting, stuff like that. You know, those, those two play styles can clash very much if they don't know each other. You know, if they, if the players playing as those play styles, don't know each other very well and don't know that that's their playstyles. it can clash with everything depending on who gets the higher initiative so i mean if you know like if the ranger gets the higher initiative you know they can plan but the player who likes to charge and head on you know they may or may not be okay with that because you know their whole combat style is charging head on and vice versa you know you've got you know the person who likes to charge and head on you know gets the higher initiative and is the first one to attack them attack the enemy then you know there goes the ranger's whole plan and then now they're feeling some sort of animosity between them because you know they didn't plan anything because that's not their style so it's very important to form relationships with your players and make sure your players form relationships with each other that's why session zero was such an important thing it's session zero is more important than people think You know, a lot of people like to just jump into, you know, the first session, you know, players meet, group up, and start the mission. You know, they they start the main campaign without knowing what each other's care what each other and each other's characters are. You know, like how the character is going to how the player is going to play this character and you know the character strengths and weaknesses and personalities and whatnot. So session that's what session zero is supposed to be. You know, the characters meet, they talk they get you know they get sent on a you know small beginner's quest you know some goblins are raiding farms so you got to go and take out this small pack of like seven goblins or you know there's a few there's bandits that have been attacking and raiding caravans for the last month you get sent on a caravan for protection the bandits attack you fight they fight back stuff like that you know there's very simple missions very simple cookie cutter missions that you can do plan a session zero for 
and that that helps you know the players figure out what everybody's characters are capable of what they can do they can plan their own you know they can plan how they're going to play their characters based off everybody else they learn their players their you know party members personalities and stuff like that so it's it's something that really should be done it doesn't need to be done but it really should be done um and that's uh that that's about the gist of it you know it's the, the main takeaways here are improv is important dm is always right does not mean that the dm is god it just means that the dm is in control of the game and you know the game flow and stuff like that it just means don't argue with the dm pretty much uh and relationships are important you know also also probably the biggest take from this is that the rules are not the game the rules are a guideline for the game but the rules are not the game the game is what you and your players make it it is not the rules are not there to say this is exact this is what you are supposed to do the rules are there to say this is what it this is what you can do or this is what this should do but not what it is going to do that that's probably the biggest takeaway here you know it's your world it's your game you do what you want with it and if somebody in your group has a problem with that they can come and talk to you about it if they still have a problem with it see ya gone bye because you don't want somebody like that in your group you don't want somebody in your group that's going to challenge you for every decision that you make you don't want somebody in your group that is going to argue with every party member because of the decisions they make you want people in your group that are going to be you know they're going to work together they're going to be a cohesive unit and they are going to work as a team they are going to and that that in turn is going to make them all have a lot more fun you know it's the players have fun based off of the dm and if the dm is noticeably having fun the players are more than likely going to be having fun and vice versa if you know the dm is noticing that the players are having a blast the dm is going to end up having a blast and that's that's like the best feedback somebody can get as a dm is that the players are visibly enjoying your game so that's pretty much all i've got for you guys today um because we are unfortunately out of time for this episode but i do want to thank you guys all for watching rpg speak this is becoming one of the best things i've done in a while i'm really enjoying doing it um there still is no set schedule i think I think for this, for the next few ones, you know, it's going to be once a week, and I know that for a fact. If I'm going to have any schedule, it's going to be one episode a week, you know, like most podcasts, but I don't know how long that's going to last because, you know, my life is, you know, kind of insane at the moment, but rest assured, things will, you know, smooth out at some point, you know. And this podcast will eventually, you know, have some sort of schedule and track and, you know, it'll be a little bit less sloppy as the last, you know, as this episode has, because like my game sessions and as a DM, I don't really, I'm not really planning these, you know, I come up with a topic, put some bullets and points in, and then I just talk about them, you know, and I don't talk about them in line of the bullets and points I've made because i have add and adhd and things just kind of happen in my brain but like my mouth moves faster than my brain can think so 
But yes, that is going to be all for this episode of RPG Speak. Like I said, I do really want to thank you guys for listening. This is a blast, and uh, stay tuned for next episode, where we will be talking about some more role-playing stuff. Have fun, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's Anthony from the RPG Speak podcast that you just listened to. All of the music in today's episode was Metal Rap Instrumental by Lost in Scores. RPG Speak is a podcast where I talk about all things role-playing, from tabletop RPGs to video game RPGs. Stay tuned for next episode, where I'll share more stories and opinions on gaming today, as well as my own personal gaming experiences. Stay safe, everybody.